and good day to you, my friends. Welcome to the Fantasy Hot Read Podcast, brought to you by FantasyHotRead.com. My name is Tyler Jinsky, and I will be your host. Start things off, Happy New Year, everybody. It's a happy league New Year. The 2019 NFL season is finally upon us. It officially kicked off Wednesday at 4 p.m., and that is a beautiful thing. I won't be rolling solo today. Joining us is the lead fantasy writer at Fantasy Hot Read, Dominic Petrillo. How's it going, Dom? Everything's going good. I know people can have their Chinese New Year. They can have their regular New Year, but this is the real New Year. That is a fact. So, naturally, today we're going to be discussing NFL free agency and the impact it will be having upon the 2019 fantasy season. We're also going to include the trades because there are some big ones this year. So, without further ado, let's jump right into it. Got to start at the top with a man, Antonio Brown, traded from the Steelers to the Raiders for a third round and a fifth round pick. He restructured the deal to get $50 million over three years. Dom, give me the fantasy impact of Antonio Brown. What's going on here? What are we looking out for? I think it, he's still going to be a, you know, a top five receiver because he is one of the best of all time, and he's obviously one of the best in the league right now. But I do think his numbers are going to fall a little bit just because it is Derek Carr throwing in the ball and not Ben Roethlisberger. I, this definitely helps you know, with the hopeful ascent of Derek Carr before they head to Las Vegas next year. But I just, and I'm not saying that Antonio Brown's going to fall off a cliff or anything. He's still going to be, like I said, a top five receiver, but instead of having say 110 or 115 receptions for, you know, 1600 yards and 17 touchdowns, I can see him closer to, you know, 90 receptions for 1300 yards and maybe 12 touchdowns or 11 touchdowns. So he's still going to be, in that elite zone, but he is, I think his statistics are going to take a slight step back, especially considering we know how much John Gruden loves to run the ball. For me, Antonio Brown, I wouldn't put him in the top five. I think he's a top 10 locked in safe wide receiver. I drop him down a little bit. Just like you said, it's, it's the Derek Carr factor and a little bit of the unknown. I, I feel more comfortable taking probably six or seven guys I'd say in front of Antonio Brown, but at the end of the day, his value is going to remain the same, but I think he drops out of the first round. What do you think about that? I do. I actually was just listening to a podcast today, and they did a mock draft yesterday, and he went as, I believe, uh, wide receiver possibly seven, mm-hmm. but he went at, uh, I want to say it was uh, 2.9. 2.9. 2.9. Yeah, I, that sounds about right, taking a look at it. Third round seems way too late, but anywhere in that second round sounds good to me. All right, moving forward, the next big name. It was full of wide receiver trades, especially the elite ones. Odell Beckham Jr. shipped to the Browns for a first-round pick, a third-round pick, and Jabril Peppers. What's the impact, and what are we looking at for uh, Odell Beckham Jr. in 2019? Uh, Yeah, I think the biggest impact here, as we were both saying all fair, and I I know a lot of people have been saying it on Twitter and everywhere else, too, is light up your Baker Mayfield. He's going to explode this year. He had, you know, 27 touchdowns last year. I have him pegged for going over 40 touchdowns this year, over 4,500 yards. I think this is great for Nick Chubb as well. Obviously, we know Kareem Hunt's going to be out for eight games now. So I think that when he comes back, though, he's going to have a great time as well. It's going to be a boon for Jarvis Landry as well. I don't think he's going to take as much of a step up as they expected. He's not going to go back up to how he was with the Dolphins leading the league in receptions, but I think he can get back up to 95, 100 receptions. I think the worst person that this is for is probably David and Joku, just because they're going to have so many receivers and backs out of the backfield that can catch the ball. Even Nick Chubb caught 20 passes last year that he just maybe not faded out, but everybody's expecting the third year breakout. And I don't know if that's going to happen this year with all the other weapons they have on offense. Now, who do you think's the biggest winner in this OBJ trade? The biggest winner is for sure. Baker Mayfield. I would uh, completely agree with that. You know, and I think that Baker Mayfield was being heralded as this like late round steel QB going into next season. But I don't think Baker Mayfield can be called a late round quarterback anymore. Um, I was talking to you about it, and I think that Baker Mayfield, we might be seeing him in the sixth, maybe even the fifth round, you know, come August. What do you think about that? I totally agree. I think right now he's going off the board at number 13 uh, in quarterbacks. I think that he will for sure jump up to before the season starts, especially in redraft leagues, he's going to jump up to the top five. And I actually, you know, I wrote an article for the website that with the fantasy impact of Odell Beckham going there, I think that it's 
not out of the realm of possibility that he finishes one, two in either order with Pate, with uh, Patrick Mahomes at the end of the year for who's going to be at the top of the rankings for the quarterbacks when it comes to fantasy. And I don't think he's going to be taken over Patrick Mahomes in drafts and it probably, he probably shouldn't, but being taken a round or two later, I think he's, you're, he's going to be just as good a value as Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. You're looking at Baker Mayfield's ADP right now in the eighth round before the OBJ trade. So it's going to move up. So as of today, right now, um, where do you have Baker Mayfield as far as your redraft rankings go? As far as redraft rankings, I haven't redone them since the trade and everything, but I believe before the trade, I had him at about 15. I think now I'm probably going to move him up to no worse than probably four. And it could be as high as two, because like I said, I think he could get up there with Patrick Mahomes. But I think that in any order that you want to put him in, because obviously everybody has their own order, I think it's going to be Mahomes, uh, Rodgers, Luck, and Mayfield. What about Watson? I would have Watson a little bit behind at either five or six. I'm not going to say he's not in that conversation, but I just think he's a little bit behind those four because he tends to run the ball a little bit more than they do when he doesn't get as much of the passing, especially without Will Fuller being there next year, probably with the torn ACL. We have to see how healthy he comes back with just DeAndre Hopkins there. I, I know he's a great receiver, but you know you can't have 4,500 passing yards when you only have one receiver because nobody's had over 2,000 in his career. And bringing this back around, where do you have OBJ in your rankings with the Browns? And you might not have it officially done, but just right now, where would you put OBJ being drafted next year? Uh, I probably I moved him up probably to wide receiver two, possibly three, but I could see him ending up as number one over DeAndre Hopkins. But I think I could he's he's easily in the top three and possibly number two. So end of the first round is where we're talking for OBJ. Uh, yeah, or I'd even be happy taking him in the middle of the first round. I. When it comes down to it, I may take him over DeAndre Hopkins or other players. I could have him back, you know, flip flop back and forth. And when it comes to the elite players, you can't really argue one way or another. You know, it's six of one, half dozen of the other. But I can see him going at 1.7, 1.8. Absolutely. Going to move forward here. There's another trade with the wide receiver, not as big of a name with Antonio Brown or OBJ, but Deshaun Jackson was shipped from the Buccaneers to the Eagles, uh, returning home for the man DJX. What do you think about that? I love it. He wanted to come back. Obviously, Chip Kelly isn't there to kick him out of the locker room like an idiot, you know, that we all knew he was, except for my cousin, who still, <laughs> like, worships at the church of Chip Kelly for some reason. But just, you know, <laughs> that's exactly what they needed. They needed a downfield vertical threat they tried to have with Mike Wallace last year. It didn't work out because he got injured. Djax knows the system a little bit. He knows that, you know, obviously he knows that that stadium he just knows everything about the city he he loves coming back he was at the Sixers game this year he rang the bell and they gave him a big warm welcome he signed a new three-year contract with him this is great for Carson Wentz if he can't come back this year then there is something wrong with Carson Wentz and they may have made the wrong decision to go with him going with him over Foles but they have the downfield guy now and Jackson they have the slot guy with Aguilar you know they have the possession receiver they have the you know the big body out there with uh, Alshon Jeffrey, they have the tight end with Zach Ertz. You know, if they can get a running game in there, they can be a monster in the NFC. And But the you know, the receiving game leaves no excuses for Wentz this year. Yeah, I think I, you got to mention Dallas Godard. I, I feel like there's going to be some situations where they're going to have both tight ends out there on the field. And they just have too many threats, and I would agree. If, if Wentz can't get it done next year, then they made the wrong decision. But I think the biggest winner in this DJX trade was definitely Carson Wentz because he has a weapon at every level. Absolutely. Moving forward, um, Tyrell Williams got quite the contract from the Raiders. Uh, four years, $44 million, 22 guaranteed. What are we making of the Tyrell Williams signing? We're making of the signing that the Raiders have a lot of money to spend and they overpaid on somebody who's – uh, almost a one-trick pony at this point. I do like Tyrell Williams, and he is good for certain offenses. I would have loved him going to the Colts. You know, he's. But I think with the Raiders, they just have so many other holes that I guess this is one of their holes they needed because they really have no wide receiver group. But now they have him in there with Antonio Brown. I think that Antonio Brown obviously helps the whole team, and he really helps the second wide receiver on the other side of the field, which is going to be Tyrell Williams. So I think he can have a lot of success there. And if that's the case, then... I do like this signing, and it may look like a bargain after a couple of years, or they may just let him go after two years. But I do like the signing there just because I do think he's going to have an uptick in production, especially over last year. 
because Antonio Brown is on the other side. I know he had Keenan Allen on the other side last year, but I, honestly, Antonio Brown is you know better than Keenan Allen, even if it's not a major amount. He is better, so I think that's going to help him out. Uh, the only thing I worry about is if they don't re-sign Jared Cook or whatever, if he is the only other threat on the field, then he may have a little bit of a regression. But I just think that he has had a thousand-yard season in the past when Keenan Allen was injured, and I think he could do it again this year or get close to it. And I can see him being a wide receiver three, a possibly a very low-end wide receiver two uh, for your fantasy team. And I could see him going in the sixth or seventh round. Yeah, Tyrell Williams has always been a bit of a anomaly for me because when Ty when Keenan Allen went down, uh, I think it was like 2016, he had a hell of a season. He kind of showed up to where he was the guy. He wasn't the wide receiver one, but he was like, this this is a legit wide receiver. But then he gets signed by the Raiders, and Derek Carr isn't necessarily known for his deep ball or throwing it deep in general. I think uh, Evan Silver, Evan's Evan Silver, which is great. I don't know if you saw that. Uh, Mike Francesca go back and forth with Evan Silva yet, but if you haven't, you should check it out. But Evan Silva tweeted out um, that Derek Carr finished second to last in percentage of passes attempted 20 yards downfield. And in his 2016 career year, he finished 26th, only 10%. So Derek Carr is not throwing the ball deep. Does that cause some concern for Tyrell Williams? It does. And, you know, I'm not a big Mike Francesca fan anyway. Of course, he's a New York guy, so being from Philly, I can't really be a fan of his, but I just think he's pretty much a blowhard anyway. <laughs> but, you know, what are you going to do about it? You know, Mike and the Mad Dog, they're both crazy. But, yeah, it is it is funny because Derek Hart, I mean, coming out of Fresno State, that was his big thing is that he had a monster arm, and he just he doesn't seem to be able to use it. And, you know, some people are like that. Cam Newton has a monster arm, but he can't be accurate to save his life. The same thing. We haven't really seen it with Jared Allen, but it'll be, you'll have to see what happens there as well. You know, obviously we have Patrick Mahomes who has a crazy arm and he actually is able to do it. So there, some of them are able to do it. Some of them aren't able to put it into play. And it, it just looks like in these past, you know, since he's been there for the past six years that he hasn't been able to do it, even though he does have that strong arm. So we'll have to see what, if he's able to finally get it done now that he has a deep threat other than Cordero Patterson, so we know he hasn't had the greatest receivers there. Tyrell Williams should be the best deep threat that he's had there. So we'll see what he's able to do with that deep threat. We will see. Moving forward, Jamison Crowder got quite the contract from the Jets. Three years, $28 million, 17 guaranteed. What are we making of that signing? Just uh, another one, I think, depth. I mean, they have Quincy Nunwa, but he's been pretty injury prone. They have Robbie Anderson. He's been pretty police prone. So we'll have to see what happens there. And, and there, I don't think they're going to bring back Jermaine Curse. They may still draft a wide receiver somewhere in this draft here. Obviously, it's not going to be in the second round since they don't have any more second round picks left after trading them all to the Colts last year. And I don't think they're going to take one in the first round by any means, being that they have the third pick and there's nobody in the draft that they should take that high. But I, I do feel that maybe they could trade down into the middle of the first round and get somebody if they if somebody wants to come up to three in front of the Giants and get a one of their quarterbacks, especially if Arizona decides not to take one at number one. San Francisco is definitely not going to take one at two. So if somebody's going to have to come up to three to the Jets, you know, maybe somebody like Miami, now that they traded Tannehill, they have nobody really on their roster. They may try and make a move, give up their 13th pick and maybe a second round this year and a second round next year or something to get up to that number three pick with the Jets if they would do it in their division to get, whether it be Haskins or Kyler Murray. Uh, we'll see what happens there. But I just think that, you know, you have to see what's going on with that. I don't with Le'Veon Bell there. I think that's definitely a good thing because he's going to bring a lot of receptions out of the backfield as well. So with that being said, they're going to have a pretty good offense surrounding Sam Darnold. I just, now we just have to see if Sam, Sam Darnold can have that second year breakout. The big thing with Jameson Crowder for me was if you look back to last season at the beginning, Unuma was playing out the slot, playing out of the slot in the first quarter of the season, like Anunua was like putting up wide receiver two numbers in PPR leagues, like catching six to eight balls a game, 50 to 80 yards, a touchdown here and there. Like Anunua was looking like he was going to be a legitimate starter for the whole season. And then Curse started in the slot and they moved Anunua outside and Anunua completely disappeared and was a waiver wire guy. So Anunua's success has primarily came from the slot and it's hard to th- to believe that Anunwa is going to stay in the slot and Jameson Crowder is going to be outside. So Jameson Crowder was signed for a slot role, 
which makes me think that the biggest loser in this is going to be a Nunwa because to me he finds success in the slot. So it's it's it was a weird signing for me. What do you think about that? Oh I, yeah, I agree with you. There are certain players that have to be slot receivers to be good. We saw it in Philadelphia with Jordan Matthews and with Nelson Aguilar when they switched back and forth. It was always it was a mess. Which everyone was outside, and the slot was always good because they're both slot receivers. The same thing's going to happen here, you know, and the same thing's going to happen with some people that I believe we're going to talk about next. You know, with we have Beasley going to Buffalo. You know, we have the other guy. I can't remember his name now. It's signed in Buffalo. So they they're going to have like three slot receivers there between those two with Beasley and the other guy they signed. And plus now they have uh, Zay Jones there. So it's going to be interesting to see what they have there as well. But I think one of the biggest losers here could be Chris Herndon, just because they just aren't really known for using the tight end anyway. Obviously, uh, Gase didn't really do anything with the tight end when he was there with Thomas or the rookie last year. So with that said, we don't know what's going to happen with Herndon with all these other receivers coming in. I think he could be a little bit of a loser as well. Yeah, let's let's move forward to Cole Beasley. Cole Beasley got a four-year, twenty-nine million, fourteen million guaranteed contract from the Bills. He was always a pretty solid slot receiver at the Cowboys. Um, had, you know, he had some success when he was thrown to. Had a lot of ups and downs, but he got a pretty good contract from the Bills. Is is there any value in Cole Beasley with the Bills, or what are you making of this? I think there could be some value with him, but like I said, they have they just have too many slot receivers. They have too many small receivers. They don't really have any big guys. I mean, Cole Beasley's what like five foot four, one hundred and thirty pounds. It's just <laughs> crazy. These guys they're bringing in for, you know, not big money because obviously he's not he didn't get a whole lot of money comparative, but then they have the cap space they need to spend anyway. So you know, with with that being said, I think with they they do want to keep Jared Allen in the pocket more. And obviously, if that offensive line, which wasn't really good last year, they're trying to get it better this year. But if that breaks down, they're going to need a lot of these short receivers, you know, the short intermediate field receivers, short field receivers. And that's what they have now with all these slot receivers. It's going to be like a little like bumblebees flying around all over like 10 yards, you know, away from the, the line of scrimmage, whether it be zone, you know, Jones or Foster or whoever it's going to be. They're just going to be all over there and it's going to confuse the defensive backs and one of them is going to get open and he's going to you know, fire one through the guy's chest to nail it to him. I have concerns over Josh Allen's accuracy. I think that's the biggest piece for me is he found his value uh, and his success running on the ground from scrambling. That's, you know, that that's just a fact. It wasn't even designed runs. He was just running the ball, scrambling, scoring touchdowns. He didn't really complete that much through there, an occasional deep ball to, to foster. So, you know, I, I'm not on the Cole Beasley side of things. Um, I have some concerns. I likely won't be drafting him, but I think he's one of those guys that might make a little bit more difference in real football than fantasy football. Yeah, if anything, I wouldn't really draft him. I would wait for the waiver wire and see what happens, but I would for sure uh, maybe take him in a in a best ball in one of the late rounds if you're in like a 20 uh, 20 round best ball, maybe, you know, take him in the right before your defenses or what have you. He could have a couple of breakout games. And I do agree with you about his accuracy not really be, not really being there right now. I know he had a 52% accuracy rate in college. He had about a 55% last year in the NFL as well. And you're right, he was scrambling. And I think a lot of that had to do with just how bad that offensive line was, wasn't giving him any anything at all. And that's the reason why he led the team in rushing as well. I mean, he had 600, 600 yards rushing where you know, uh, McCoy only had 450 yards rushing on the entire year. So that just shows you that they could not do anything with that offensive line. And I don't know if you've seen the movie. You're about the same age I am. I don't know if you remember that great 80s movie, Necessary Roughness. <laughs> but, you know, he when Scott Backley used to throw the ball so hard to the guy that it just stuck in the guy's face mask, he didn't even have to catch it. You know, it was just <laughs> sticking out of his face mask. Yeah, I haven't seen the movie, but I, I can understand what that's like. But I, I wanted to get, get just moving along. I'm going to stay in the Bills. Um, I think you might have been talking about him earlier, but John Brown signed to the Bills. Three years, $27 million, $11 million guaranteed. Now, I'm a John Brown fan. I've always been a huge fan. I think he is an elite uh, ball tracker deep. I think he offers a lot. But, you know, rest in peace to John Brown's value because he was one of my favorite free agents. And I think he could have gone somewhere like, say, Philadelphia or Indianapolis. And he would have been a wide receiver, too. And I would have felt really good about drafting him mid-round. But now he's going to the Bills. And Josh Allen, although he can throw the ball far, he's not really that accurate. So I think that when it comes to John Brown's fantasy value, he might have gone to to one of the worst places possible. Yeah, it's funny to say it, you know, being that it's Buffalo and it's cold, but he kind of went to Siberia. (laughs) I would have loved to see him uh, with 
Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay is the guy a, a, across from Devontae Adams in that almost like the Jordy Nelson. I know he's not the same size as Jordy Nelson, but that downfield stretch the field thread mm-hmm. that they could have had with him, that would have been great to see him alongside uh, Devontae Adams. But I do agree with you, and it's funny. I actually uh, was listening to a podcast earlier today, uh, the same one that did the mock draft, and they were talking about John Brown. And it's actually weird to think because you think Buffalo is right next to Lake Erie. Um, but John Brown, as we know, had uh, the sickle cell trait, which really is affected at elevation. And Buffalo is the fifth highest elevation stadium in the league. So it's kind of weird that he did go there. It's not quite as high as he was in Arizona, but it's still one of the uh, five highest elevating stadiums in the league. So it's kind of weird. Like I said, it's weird that he goes there and hopefully it doesn't affect him. You know, obviously when he was in in Baltimore last year, he played all 16 games because they're basically at sea level. They're like one foot above sea level or whatever. But Buffalo is almost a thousand feet above sea level, which is only, you know, a fifth of what De- uh, Denver is, which is where most people can't play. But even even so, that is pretty high up that you would think that he would want to go somewhere, you know, less elevated. And like I said, I just I would have loved him in in Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers. Obviously, we know he's one of the most accurate quarterbacks of all time, and they need that downfield threat ever since Jordy Nelson left. And now they're not going to be with, without Randall Cobb as well, and Geronimo Allison may not come back either. So they're kind of short on wide receivers as well. Yeah, I think Geronimo Allison in the last hour actually just got signed to a one-year contract, but the point still stands. Uh, moving forward, Humphreys. Adam Humphreys, signed by the Titans. Four years, $26 million, $19 million guaranteed. Uh, have we seen much fantasy value out of Adam Humphreys at the Titans? I'd love Adam Humphreys coming into this free agent. I think he could have been awesome, especially I would I wanted him to go to the Colts instead of the, one of the guys we're going to be talking about later. I, I would have loved him with Andrew Luck being there alongside T.Y. Hilton. But now that he went to Tennessee, we're going to have to see what happens, whether it's going to be you know, uh, Marcus Mariota trying to throw him the ball with that stiff arm or the nerve arm or whatever he's going to have this year, or if it's going to be Ryan Tannehill. The only thing we do know is that it's not going to be Blaine Gabbert because after they traded for Tannehill, they released Gabbert. So at least that's good to see. So maybe they'll switch and Miami can get Gabbert and have him be their starting quarterback next year. But I do like Humphreys actually in this because I think that with Derrick Henry, they're going to start using him more, which they need to. They saw it at the end of last year. I'm not a big Derrick Henry fan. I'm not a truther like Adam is. But I just think in this offense, they're really going to need to use him. And I think that it is going to open up very well because that's their type of offense is dink and dunk. And obviously, Marcus Mariota doesn't really have a good downfield ball as well. They do have Corey Davis there. So I think that Adam Humphreys, if he stays healthy all year, he could have easily 80, 85 receptions for seven or eight touchdowns and maybe 900 to maybe 1,100 yards. It's a possibility. Like, I, I don't really know what to make of it yet. I haven't really uh, dove into the Humphrey numbers, but it doesn't look like a guy I'll be targeting, but a guy I'll be watching. Uh, moving forward, I think we talked, about, we alluded to him earlier, but Devin Funchess um, got a pretty good contract from the Colts. A one-year, uh, $10 million contract. Playing with Andrew Luck could possibly be the wide receiver, too, there. What's going on with Funchess in 2019 fantasy season? Yeah, Devin S. Scrumptious. It's just, it's amazing that when it comes to it with all the skill players on offense, we were talking about it before the uh, pod, that he may get the biggest contract of, you know, on a yearly basis of all the players that signed, including Lev Bell, basically is $12.5 million a year. He's going to get 13 if he hits all his incentives. And I do think he's going to be the number two wide receiver there. And he's a big target. He's six foot four, 225 pounds. So I think the player that this really hurts is Jack Doyle coming off that hip injury and everything. We don't know what it's going to be. They already have, obviously, Eric Ebron there, had 15 touchdowns last year. I think this could hurt Ebron some as well, but I think it's really going to take a lot out of Jack Doyle's value. I think that it's going to be Ebron and Scrumptious in the red zone. Obviously, they have Marlon Mack there uh, to run the ball as well, and Jordan Wilkins, and obviously some other players, but mostly it's going to be Mack in the backfield, I believe, now that they didn't really sign anybody unless they draft somebody. Uh, It's going to be good for T.Y. Hilton, but I, I really, you know, this is very bad for, like I said, for Jack Doyle. And I think it's a very good thing for uh, Adam Luck. And I, I like I like Devin Funches this year as well, because when you take those one-year contracts to bet on yourself and you have Andrew Luck as your quarterback, he's going to want to make the most of this so he can get a big contract next offseason. And if that's the case, I think he could have a, a monster wide receiver two season. I don't, And I'm not going to say he's going to end up as wide receiver one or anything, but I think he could end up somewhere around 20 uh, if everything goes the way that it should, considering that he's betting on himself. 
Funchess's his hands are are not good in my opinion. But the thing about Funchess is I believe he's like twenty four, maybe twenty five. So like we haven't seen the end of Funchess, and it it takes um little bit longer for wide receivers to develop in the league. And I, I really like what the Colts did by giving them a one-year contract with the huge cap space they had. It, they really took very little risk in the guy. And I think he complements T.Y. Hilton's uh, abilities very well. And I think that the biggest loser in this would be Ebron. I think Ebron was due from, for some regression regardless. Like, call me a salty Lions fan. That's fine. But I think Ebron was due for some regression. But I think that Funchess's fantasy points are going to cut into Ebron's overall. Oh, yeah, I completely agree. And, I mean, I don't think it's a salty Lions fan because, I mean, just like with me with Patrick Mahomes, I don't think he's going to be bad this year. But when you get, you know, 50 touchdowns and 5,000 yards and it's a, basically a career year, it's the second year. But anybody, no matter who it is, whether it be Joe Montana, Tom Brady, if they have a career year, then you have to expect at least a little bit of a regression off of that the next year. And not saying that he's going to go from 15 touchdowns to zero, but even if he drops from 15 to 10, you know, that takes a lot of that takes 30 points away. And that's going to be a lot of yardage and a lot of receptions as well that go away so it's not that he's gonna have a bad year because 10 is still amazing but mm-hmm. it's just he's not gonna get the career 15 that he had this year so the next wide receiver we're gonna move to is golden tate and for the sake of time let's not dive into gettleman and the giants <laughs> let's just not dive into the giants and how they're run let's talk about golden tate real quick got a four-year 37 million dollar contract 23 million guaranteed golden tate's fantasy value what are we looking at next year they're going to have to have somebody there. I think he, if it would have been Shepard, if, if Golden Tate didn't go there, but now I think it is going to be Golden Tate. Uh, he, as much as Eli Manning can't really throw the ball downfield anymore, he can throw it far enough to get it to Golden Tate, who's a very good possession receiver. I can see him finishing in the as a wide receiver too for fantasy. I think he'll he'll end up with his normal, you know, about 90, 90 receptions, maybe you know, eleven hundred, twelve hundred yards and six or seven touchdowns. I, I do think that he has that ability still. I know he's 30 years old. And, you know, the, the only thing I'm going to say about the Giants that I I talked to Adam about this a couple days ago, and I completely agree, and I'm not going to go into it a whole lot, but if Dave Gettleman can get a job in the NFL with how bad he is as, as a GM or executive or whatever you call him, and Lewis Riddick, who is amazing at what he does and can't get a job, that just shows you that something's wrong with the culture in the NFL. Totally agree. And Golden Tate, I feel like people are going to have a little bit of bad taste in their mouths because of the way it went down with Philadelphia, and that's what people are going to remember, the recency bias from the Eagles. But Golden Tate is a premier slot receiver. He is the the best wide receiver yards after the catch. He's got sure hands. If you can find this guy in like the sixth or seventh round, he's going to, in PPR leagues, he's going to return great value. Absolutely, especially if you go running back early, if you take a running bout in, say, rounds one and two, and maybe even like four or five, and you have him as your wide receiver three, you know, or your flex option, one of your first flex options. He that's a, you know, a great return on investment. You can use him every week in your flex position. The last wide receiver that I have to talk about is I got I got to admit something here, Dom, um, that I am a bit of a Dante Moncrief truther. There's part of me that so is you're not the one. I, that is not done with Dante Moncrief. So. He he showed a lot of promise his first couple of years in the league with Andrew Luck. You know, last year he played for the Jags. He had Bortles, a terrible offensive line, Cody Kessler. The year before that, Jacoby Brissett was his quarterback. He's not a bad backup, but he's not that great. Now he finds the perfect spot on the Steelers and where there's a lot of deep balls to go around, a lot of throwing of the football. It is the perfect landing spot for Dante Moncrief, and I, I and I think that what made me really believe in Dante Moncrief is I am not a James Washington truther. I don't think James Washington is that good of a wide receiver. I do not believe in the breakout. I think that, that James Washington is closer to the Sammy Coates than he is to a Mike Wallace, and I think that Dante Moncrief, while he'll be going in the later rounds, while James Washington is going in the middle rounds, I will be taking Dante Moncrief for his upside on that outside role while they keep Juju inside. What do you think about that? Uh, I agree with you, but the only thing I disagree with is because Juju's moving, and I know they've had you know Jarvis Landry in Miami and things like that, but I just think that with Antonio Brown leaving, I don't think they're bringing Moncrief in to fill the Antonio Brown role. I think they're going to try and use Juju Smith-Suster in that Antonio Brown role on the gotcha. outside. Gotcha. And I think that they're going to have 
Moncrief uh, play the slot with Washington and Juju on the outside. So in that case, I do really like Moncrief as as well. Again, if you can get him as a wide receiver four or five, then I really like him as a as a bye week fill in and a possible flex play. And as much as I do love James Washington, if you can get Moncrief, you know, three, four, maybe even five rounds later, I definitely like that value more than I would Washington taking him in the eighth or ninth round or wherever somebody's going to overtake him this year based on hype. Yep, I would agree. I want to move on to running backs now. Is there anything uh, we think you missed with the wide receivers? No, I think I talked way too much on them to begin with. Hey, we, we could sit here and talk all day. We'll, let's keep things rolling. Talking about running backs, we got to start with our guy Le'Veon Bell going to the Jets, four-year, $52 million. A lot of things happened, a lot of drama. We can talk about that all day, but let's bottom line, fantasy value. How are we seeing Le'Veon Bell 2019? I think he's lower now than he was in Pittsburgh. Obviously, I've said that from the get-go. Uh, I think he's more like a maybe a running back. He's going to be still be a running back one, but instead of being you know, one or two or maybe three, I think now he's more of a seven, eight, or nine. When it comes to that, I think he's uh, firmly in the – early to mid second round, which is what, where he was taken in the mock draft that I referenced earlier. And I just think that he's going to be a complete product of how good the offensive line is. I know they traded for that name that I can't pronounce from the Raiders, which is good because they need to build up that offensive line. But if they don't build it up enough, he's never going to get anything done. I know he said he sat out last year because he didn't want to make 14 and a half million when all Pittsburgh was doing was using him up. You know, they're giving him 52 and a half million dollars in New York. If he thinks he's going to have any, less touches in New York than he did in Pittsburgh. He's crazy, and he's making less money in New York than he would have if he would have signed with Pittsburgh last year, You know, but that's beside the point. But his running style, as you know, as Pittsburgh said last year, we love James Conner running because he finds the holes and runs to it. You know, Le'Veon Bell runs up behind you and stops and waits for a hole to open up. If he does that with the Jets, he's going to get crushed for two, three-yard losses mm-hmm. all the time. And you know how that was with Barry Sanders in, you know, if Barry Sanders, I, I forget what the stat was, but if Barry Sanders, if you took away all of Barry Sanders' uh, tackle, when he got tackled behind the line of scrimmage in his career with the Lions, he when he retired, he would have been the all-time leading rusher in the NFL because I think he had over 1,500, over 2,000 yards lost just based on being tackled behind the line of scrimmage. And that's going to be, that could keep Le'Veon Bell from doing anything this year either. I think he's going to get over 1,000 yards, but I think it's going to be, very close because he is going to stop and wait for holes to open up. And that's just not what the jets are good at right now, unless they really get an offensive line. Yeah. Two pieces for me with bells. He's going to catch a lot of balls. That's true. And the second piece is it's, he's known for being a patient runner, but I think he's talented enough to still be decisive and he's going to make it work. Le'Veon Bell's too talented to not, I mean, he's not going to be the number one running back, but like you said, that seven, eight range is perfect for Le'Veon Bell. You're taking, if you take Le'Veon Bell the end of the first, I think it's a perfect spot for him. It's pretty safe. He's going to get 300 touches. He's going to be good. No concerns. So let me uh, ask you real quick. Would you want Le'Veon Bell or DJ in Arizona this year? I would take uh, Le'Veon Bell. All right. I would actually take DJ there. Now, one other one. Would you take Le'Veon Bell or would you take his replacement? Connor? Yep. You know, I would take Connor. Again, that's I see that too. I see him right behind, you know, DJ and Connor and you know, right ahead of like a maybe Nick Chubb, you know, or somebody like that. So I see him right in that, you know, eight, nine, ten range. Yep, they're all in that range. It's it's a little convoluted at the moment, but you know, things will start to kind of form as we get closer to the season. Absolutely. Moving forward, the next big name is going to be Mark Ingram, Ravens. Three-year, $15 million contract. Three years, it was a little old for Mark Ingram. What, what are we thinking about Mark Ingram on the Ravens? I feel like I've been on Twitter. There's been a lot of back and forth. Some people are a big fan of it, saying he could be an RB1. Some people are like he's a back-end RB2. Seems to be a little bit contentious. I love it. I love the move. I like Mark Ingram being a Saints fan. Uh, I don't see him... As much as I love the move, that doesn't. I don't think he's going to be a, wide, a running back one. I think he is going to be in, in the running back two mix, somewhere between say you know fourteen to eighteen, somewhere in the mid running back two. And that, I think that's a ceiling. Uh, there, I think the this. I think the person that's really hurts the most is going to be uh, Gus Edwards. He only had two catches last year. Obviously, we know Mark Ingram can catch the ball. He had fifty-seven catches a couple years ago in in Kamara's first year in the league. 
I think that this could help Kenneth Dixon as well. I think both of them could do good things there with, I know Kenneth Dixon is kind of the same running back, but he's a lot smaller. So he could be the little scat back guy. Mark Ingram can plow through the middle of the line and catch it when he needs to not have to come out and, you know, running downs, not have to come down and passing downs. We just have to see what happens with Lamar Jackson. I don't like him as a quarterback. I never liked him coming out of the league. I know a lot of people love him and a lot of people, I know Andy was making fun of me last year. Cause I just said, you know, he's the best wide receiver that was drafted as a quarterback. I just, I think he's going to eventually have to not be a quarterback or he's going to have to definitely learn. A lot of people were saying last when it showed him when, you know, when they looked at tape last year and obviously I can't look at tape, so I can't see his motion, <laughs> but a lot of people said it looked like when you're trying to teach your five-year-old how to throw a football for the first time and stuff. So yeah. if he's that far behind, it's just, just terrible. So he's just a glorified running back in my opinion. So I don't really like any running back that goes here, but I do think Mark Ingram is going to be this lead back. And I, I can see him being in the top, 18 to 20, but I don't think he's going to get any higher than 12 or 13. I don't think he can be an RB1 in this offense. Yeah, definitely not an RB1, but the one thing that I did realize with the Ravens last year is there's volume to be had from the running backs. Gus Edwards was getting about 17, 18 carries a game when he was like the starter towards the end of the season. And if we're slotting Ingram into that role, plus his pass catching ability, I'm seeing a pretty strong running back to, um, you know, like uh, he's a, he has the opportunity to really be an RB two, and I think if he's drafted there, it's a it's a pretty safe bet. They didn't they didn't sign him for no reason. They didn't have to go out and get somebody. They had Gus Edwards. They had Kenneth Dixon. They they wanted to get Ingram on the team. And while I agree, I, I don't think he has any real shot at an RB one. The RB two seems pretty safe to me. It's an unsexy pick. But at the same time, if him finishing between like the 12 to 24 range seems like a good, pretty safe bet. Yeah. Now, let me ask you real quick. With We were talking about Le'Veon Bell earlier. Obviously, they were talking about him going to the Ravens. And then when Anthony Barr uh, decided not to go to the Jets, that's when the Jets came back in it. If he had gone to the Ravens, where would you have had Le'Veon Bell then? If Le'Veon Bell goes to the Ravens, I think that situation is better than the Jets, so I might have him around the 5 range, 5-6. Five, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm actually in the other direction. I think if he went to the Ravens, it would have been terrible, and I think it would have he would have been more down around 12, in my opinion. Interesting, interesting. I mean, what could have been? I wanted to touch on Cream Hunt a little bit. Um, you know, he's got an 8-game suspension that just came out. Got a real small contract, as deserved. Um, but is there any value to be had with Cream Hunt moving forward? There is, if you can get him late enough, one of the craziest things I saw in that mock draft was somebody took him in the th- fourth round, and that's nuts knowing that he's going to miss. Obviously, they didn't know what he was going to miss when they did the draft because the draft was done last night. But still, even if you thought he was going to miss a minimum of six games, which you knew, taking him in the fourth round is, is crazy. That's um, insane. If he, that's insane. I, I do think that, obviously, based on the whole season, he's not going to finish this high, but I think when you get him – in the you know week nine or week ten, I'm not sure. We don't know when their bye week's going to be yet. But when he does come back and play in those eight games, uh, he may only play in seven games. He may have to you know rest and recuperate and train and everything for a game or two. I, but I think for the time that he does play, he could be a possible RB one or a high end RB two, and that's include and that's even with Nick Chubb being a running back one as well. Because I think that Kareem Hunt does have is more talented than Nick Chubb. I know a lot of people probably won't like to hear that, but it's true. He's more of a pass catcher, even though Nick Chubb can catch the ball. But And I think he's also a more talented runner. Uh, he's uh, more elusive. I guess he doesn't have the knee injuries that Chubb had coming out of college and everything. So I think that they can both be running back ones for the last half of the year, much like two years ago when Alvin Kamara and Mark Ingram were running backs four and six respectively for the entire year, I think for the Last half of the year, I think that can happen in Cleveland with these two. Yeah, I really don't know what to make of it. Because to say that Hunt and um, Chubb are RB1s, and then you have OBJ and Jarvis and Baker, like you're talking about like kind of a Chiefs level of offense here, which you know isn't out of the realm of possibility, but I still think is a bit unlikely. I, I don't really know what to think of Hunt. I think he's a fine... I think if you draft Chubb, draft, you know, picking up Hunt as well is probably the right move. But, you know, at this time, I don't really don't know what to make of it. And I'm probably going to be passing until I do a little bit more research. I want to move forward. Um, Mike Davis, kind of a random name out there. Uh, he was of the Seahawks. He got signed by the Bears for a two-year, $6 million contract. 
What kind of fantasy? I mean, he might not himself have fantasy impact on the Bears, but how does this impact the Bears offense moving forward? I honestly don't think it really affects it at all because I think that Mike Davis is going to take over the the Howard role just because I think that Jordan Howard, I was telling, you know, I was saying it last year on the pod that I think he's going to be released or traded. Okay, that's 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 an impact. Yep, and I think that that basically just makes him take over the that role where I think Cohen's still going to be the pass down back, and I think that he'll take over the Jordan Howard role. So if that's the wide receiver or the excuse me the running back twenty to twenty eight area, that could be just depending on if Jordan Howard's there. If Jordan Howard is still there, then I think that Mike Davis is going to be the third guy in that rotation, and then he's basically non-existent. He's probably at, at best a running back forty five something like that. But if if they do let Jordan Howard go, I think he could take over that Jordan Howard role and just be the the goal line guy and things like that and steal some carries and be just a, a nuisance for you for the <laughs> for the Cohen owners who want him to have the backfield to himself because he's not going to have that. He's just not big enough and everything. Yep. So I think that if that's the case, then he could be a nuisance that he's going to be a better best ball play than I think he would be a redraft just because I, he will have those weeks where he maybe get two t- two touchdowns from the goal line. Then he's going to have other weeks where he gets. Four, you know, four yards on four carries or 10 yards on four carries or whatever. Yeah, I, I didn't bring Mike Davis up because I thought he himself would have a lot of fantasy impact. I brought him up to really get at that Jordan Howard thing, and I think I agree with you that bringing Mike Davis in that early seems to me like they got plans to move Jordan Howard, whether it be during the draft, whether it be to release him. You know, that rumors were going on last year. It just seems like Jordan Howard just isn't that great of a fit for the offense. So I think that the Mike Davis thing seems to me like they're looking at options to get rid of Jordan Howard. Yeah, I think, and I think Jordan Howard would be a great fit in Oakland alongside Jalen Richard. Hey, I couldn't agree more. Moving forward, similar in the similar vein of Mike Davis, Adrian Peterson got re-signed by the Redskins. Uh, two years, $5 million. More so, how do you think this impacts Darius Geis as he was one of the top running backs going into last year that he unfortunately tore the ACL? But this has to impact some of the value on Geis. Uh, yeah, it was a two for five or two for eight, but either way, it's a two-year contract. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, you know, I, you know, I've told a lot of people this. I know Christian idolizes Darius Geis. Uh, I, I'm not that high on him, especially this year. I just think that like we saw with Dalvin Cook last year, like we've seen with Keenan Allen the year before, like we saw with even Carson Wentz last year. A lot of times when somebody's coming off a torn ACL, they don't just come back. You know, like Adrian Peterson obviously had that miraculous season coming back after his torn ACL, but most players don't come back like that. They're not, you know, healthy freaks like that. So I don't see Darius Geis coming back, and I think this is for sure an insurance policy. I think he's going to get the, the major run early in the year until they make sure to keep Geis healthy or to make sure he's completely healthy before they give him the full workload. So I think that if you say for the first half of the year, I think Adrian Peterson is going to have more fantasy points than Darius Geis in the second half. It may be Darius Geis just depending on how healthy he is, but I don't think this is a good sign for Geis. Everybody's saying, Oh, he's coming back. He's coming back. He's, he's running on Instagram. Well, I could run on Instagram too, in a straight line, just like he is now. Well, maybe I can't, but you know, most people can run in a straight line on Instagram, but he's not making any moves or anything yet. And you have to see if he's able to do that. Just because he's running in a straight line doesn't mean he's back. And I just don't think this bodes well for him this year. I love Darius Geis for 2020. But as for 2019, again, going back to that mock draft, he went in. He went the second to last pick in the third round, which is crazy. Yeah, it's it's an interesting signing to me. But I think it, it, it to me, seems like Geis isn't ready yet. And I would agree with you that the first half of the season might be APs. Second half of the season is Geis's. Moving forward, Tevin Coleman. One of the biggest surprises of, of this offseason signings for me was Tevin Coleman to the 49ers. Two years, $8.5 million. It's not even the money. It's just the landing spot. So what are we making of this Tevin Coleman signing at the 49ers? Well, you know the old saying where they always say, well, you know, Bruce Arians wants this guy to fill the David Johnson role. Or, you know, this guy wants this person to fill this role. Well, Kyle Shanahan wanted somebody to fill the Tevin Coleman role. So who better to get to fill the Tevin Coleman role than the guy that it was named after. And that's exactly mm-hmm. what he did here. You know, he's, I think that they, they're not totally sold on McKinnon being back. He's, he, you know, he's pretty much made a glass, but even if he is back, they don't want to overuse him because they do know that he can be injured from time to time. And being that 
he wants to do the same thing. Obviously, McKinnon is can be like the Devontae Freeman where he can run the ball. He's a pretty good pass catcher, and they want to be able to spell him with somebody, and they're going to do that with Tevin Coleman in that, obviously, Tevin Coleman role. So I think that's the reason they brought him there, and I think it's going to be a great fit for him. The only question is they have about 17 running backs on a 53-man roster now, so we're going to have to see who they're going to cut. We were talking about this earlier, too. I think they're, they're going to end up getting rid of maybe Wilson Jr., but they might keep him. I think Al... Alf Morris is definitely a cut candidate. Most likely he is gone already. But other than that, I think they're going to, you know, Mooster just signed for three more years. So he's obviously going to be there this season. So if they have Mooster, Burita, you know, McKinnon, and now they have Coleman, that's a decently solid backfield. You know, even if McKinnon goes down again, I think Tevin Coleman can take over that, especially with Moster being there and with, you know, the other players they have there. But I just think that we were talking about earlier that, person that this really helps this whole free agency thing with San Francisco is the fact that they'd sign nobody really except for Coleman. This really helps, you know, Pettis on offense because they didn't get any, they didn't get Odell Beckham like they wanted. They didn't get Antonio Brown like they wanted. So this really helps him because they didn't sign anybody else. And they've obviously already released Pierre Garçon. Yeah. The 49ers backfield likely going to be really great in real football, but it's going to be a nightmare in fantasy football. I'm probably, I like Raheem Mostert dynasty but he's not going to be in my redraft radar when it comes to re- when it comes to redraft it's going to be i'm taking whoever's cheapest among coleman brita and mckinnon and that's even if i'm taking anybody so it, it's going to be tough to figure out i'm happy for shanahan he's got a lot of good running backs but for fantasy purposes it, it's kind of a pretty hard avoid for me yep yeah mckinnon went in the either the third or fourth round of that mock draft which is little it's crazy high to me yep uh, moving forward, uh, interesting signing was Latavius Murray. He got four years, $14 million from the Saints. Um, a lot of people are saying he's going to fill that Ingram role. You know, they don't want to run Kamara too much. He's a, an amazing running back in his own right, but he's not really built to be a true workhorse. So they need another guy to come in. And when you look at the Saints' fantasy production from the running back position, it's top five every single year for the last like five years, I think. So are we looking at Latavius Murray as a possible running back to next year? I, I'd love him. I think he is going to take over that Mark Ingram role. He is able to catch the ball, even though people don't really think that he is. Uh, he, it, it is a smaller contract, but it is for four years. You know, nobody, it's funny because, you know, the past two years, I believe that he's been in Minnesota. The Saints have played him three times. You know, they played him last year. They played him the year before in the regular season. And then they played him in the, obviously, with the Minneapolis Miracle in the postseason the year before. So he knows Latavius Murray, and he wanted to sign him. And he went out and got him, and that's a great thing. I think that, obviously, we knew when they signed him that they weren't going to bring back Mark Ingram. His combine numbers were better than Mark Ingram. I'm not saying he's a better running back than Mark Ingram, because I think Ingram is a little bit better of a running back. But I think he really is going to fill this role, and I love him. I was, you know, and listening to some people, I know they think that this is going to be a trap just like it was with C.J. Anderson last year in Carolina. And I was actually listening to somebody today who thinks that Alvin Kamara is not going to get 325 touches this year. He thinks he's going to get 325 rushes this year. And I think that's just absolutely crazy. I agree. He had 189 last year, even with Mark Ingram missing four games. I think if he gets up to 230, 250, that I can see. But he's not going to get over 300 touches at all. Oh, no. You know, considering the only person to get over that last year was Ezekiel Elliott with 301. So I, I think he'll have 325 touches because I do think he'll have like 75 receptions. But I just, he's not going to get anywhere near 300 rushes. And I think that Latavius Murray is going to get 10 to 12 touches per game. And that's all they want him there for. And that's what they're, you know, that's what they're paying him for. And I absolutely love him signing there. I can see him being a running back two and possibly getting up close to the running back one. Like you said, the, since 2011... The Saints in rushes is either number one or number. They've been number one uh, five times. They've been number two twice in rushes in the NFL for fantasy in PPR leagues. So that just tells you they, they want to run the ball and they're going to. Now, is it uh, too crazy to say that Latavius Murray will have a more successful 2019 fantasy season than any 49ers running back as the roster sits right now? Uh, it's it's not crazy to say that because we don't know what's going to happen with Jer- I think if anybody in San Francisco has a chance to beat him, it's going to be Jarek McKinnon. But we have to again, we just have to worry about his health and not always staying healthy. But if he plays fifteen or sixteen games, then I think he could be possibly a low end or a high end wide or running back two, possibly a low end 
running back one. I think he can finish somewhere, say, 12 to 15, where I think that's also where Latavius Murray at his ceiling could finish 10 to 15. So I think they're going to be right around each other. Yeah, and then God forbid something happens to Kamara as well. So he's uh, the elite handcuff there as well. The, the other place I, I wanted to touch on him real quick just because it's simply amazing, but Frank Gore got a, a one-year, $2 million deal from the Bills. And it's come to my attention that Frank Gore Jr. is get, going into college right now. So Frank Gore is playing football in the NFL while his son is about to is a three-star recruit in college. So that in itself, I think, is worth mentioning because Frank Gore is absolutely an Iron Man and he is amazing. But is it Frank Gore might not have a lot of value at the Bills, but are you having any part of this Buffalo Bills backfield next year? Not as it stands, no. I mean, if they draft somebody or, you know, they might release Shady McCoy, we'll see what happens there. There's talk about maybe them releasing him, him going back to Philadelphia. If that's the case and they bring somebody else in, then I may have some, you know, want for that backfield. But as it stands now, I know everybody loves when people say, oh, we have 17 people in our office. Between us, we have 100 years of experience. Well, they have three people in the backfield with 98 years of experience when the season starts because Gore will be 36, McCoy will be 31, and Ivory will be 31 as well. So they'll be 98 years old out of their three main running backs when the season starts, which is crazy to think. And, you know, when it comes to Frank Gore, we all know that, you know, I love Frank Gore. I don't think he has much value. But maybe he's just trying to pull a Ken Griffey Sr. and Ken Griffey Jr. and be the first, <laughs> you know, father-son ever to play on the same team in the NFL at the same it, time. It would be a beautiful thing. Uh, moving on to the last signing is a little bit under the radar by Carlos Hyde. Signing with the Chiefs, one-year, $2.8 million contract. And I think the piece that I find most interesting is if you remove the names and just look at their production, Hyde is a much better running back than Damon Williams, yet Damon Williams is being perceived as the starter. But I personally think that Hyde could really dig into Damon Williams' role. What, what are we really making of this Hyde-Damon Williams running back duo on the Chiefs next year? I do think that uh, this is actually a good thing, in my opinion, for Damian Williams, because if they were going to, if they really wanted to challenge him hard, they could have picked somebody high in the draft, or they could have gone after somebody like Jay Ajayi, or one of the, even Tevin Coleman, one of the more upper echelon running backs. They didn't. They brought him in on one year, two and a half million dollar contract after he was released by Jacksonville. I think that shows that they want somebody there. I think this may mean they're not going to bring back Sharkandrick West, obviously, possibly Spencer Ware. So I think he's more of a a backup. And I know everybody likes to think that he's going to really eat into Damian Williams. But Andy Reid's been a head coach in this league for a long time, for over 20 years now. And he does not use a running back by committee. He always has his running back one, always gets 65, 70, 75% of the carries. And I think that's going to be the same again this year. Uh, you may have some issue, issues at the goal line where Carlos Hyde may come in and spell him a couple times, which might hurt his goal line. But I do think that Damian Williams is the. I, I know Carlos Hyde has had over 50 receptions in 2016. I just don't think it's going to happen this year. I think Damian Williams is still a better pass catcher. And he's got the two-year contract now because they did re-sign him. And I think that this, knowing that they brought him in almost on, as a backup contract is a good sign for Damian Williams that they're just bringing in somebody to spell him from time to time and in case they need him. But I do think that Damian Williams is at least going to be given the chance to be the number one going into training camp. And if anything does happen with Carlos Hyde, he's, it's going to be because he outworked Damian Williams or because he had a really good training camp and they just couldn't keep him off the field. You know, I generally agree, but I think the one piece I'll say is if you're drafting Damian Williams, you need to be drafting Carlos Hyde. I think that would be my kind of only thing I would add to that. Uh, that, I, that I would agree, and, and same thing in Dynasty. If you have Damian Williams, I think if you can get Carlos Hyde, you should. Awesome. Um, do you have any more running backs you want to touch on? I know there's a couple guys that are unsigned, but is there any other uh, fantasy goodness you want to get to there with the running backs? No, I think we're you know I think we're pretty good with the running backs. We've gone through two or three dozen, so I think we can move <laughs> on to a couple tight ends. All right, um, you know for the sake of time, uh, you know all we got really left are the quarterbacks and the tight ends. Uh, let's let's hit one or two tight ends real quick. Um, Jared Cook hasn't signed; he's the big free agent. The next one for me is going to be C.J. Uzoma. Got a big contract relatively from the Bengals. Three years, $18 million. What are we making of him? Is he, is he relevant next year? I know the tight end was kind of a wasteland 2018. you got to think there's going to be some unknown names popping up next year. 
I think he is going to have, I think based on how Cincinnati uses the tight end, they love him there. They love all their tight ends. That's why when Eifert went down a couple years ago, Croft, you know, shot up. Then when Eifert and Croft went down last year, Yazama shot up. I think the fact that they signed him for $18 million means they're not going to re-sign uh, Eifert, which means that he's going to be the guy there, which is I think is good with Andy Dalton being there. He's going to dump down to the tight end. So I think he he's going to be very good. He's going to be, he could be a, tight end one next year in the top 12 and you know obviously going with that like I said Eifert's not gonna resign there now that he's there and obviously we know the other name I mentioned there Croft actually signed with Buffalo for the same basically the same contract I think maybe a hundred five hundred thousand dollars more but it was three years like 18 and a half million so I think with him taking over for Charles Clay Charles Clay really did nothing there Mm -hmm. so with all these receivers that Buffalo signing I think he may not do a whole lot there either. I think this is kind of wasted money. For some reason, Buffalo tends to sign tight ends to overinflated contracts, like when they made Charles play the top paid tight end when they signed him from Miami. So I don't think I think this is a bad thing for Tyler Croft. Uh, but it's it's good for Josh Allen because it does give him another weapon. But I just don't think Croft is, if Croft has more than fifty receptions next year, I'll be shocked. But I think this is a great thing for CJ Uzama. He could have sixty to seventy receptions, you know, eight touchdowns and seven eight hundred yards. Yeah, you know, it's funny you say Usama, you know, tight end one, and I think people's reaction might be like, that's ridiculous. But, like, Austin Hooper was a tight end one last year. Like, Kyle Rudolph was, I think, a tight end seven overall next year. Like, it doesn't take much to find your way into the top 12. And Uzama is going to be given the opportunity. Like, he was running, uh, when it comes to the routes run per game, like, he had to have been, like, top eight last year. And now he's definitely the only guy. So if you're looking at a tight end late, you could do a lot worse than Uzoma. And for the sake of time, is there, let's touch on at least one more tight end. You got one more you want to talk about there, Dom? Uh, not a, not a whole lot. I mean, <laughs> the, I mean, I know your your Lions, you know, signed the uh, who they signed up there. Jesse James. Jesse there you go, James. Jesse James. He's probably just going to be their tight end too. You know, he was a tight end too in Pittsburgh. Now he's going to be a tight end too with, with Detroit. So I don't think he has much value there unless their offense really comes back. I think yeah. they need to get more receiving help. I know they signed Danny Amendola, but as more of a slot receiver, but he's not nearly as good as Golden Tate was in that role. So I think that they still need some help there. They they're trying to get help on the offensive line. They've signed some people there. So hopefully Stafford can have a breakout year. And if they do decide to use two tight end set, then he could have some skill, you know, he could have some value, but it's not going to be much at all. And I, he's definitely not somebody I would be drafting. Yeah. It, I wouldn't be drafting him either. I think he might provide a little bit more real life value with some of the pass blocking. I think the lines are going to be, I mean, sorry, the run blocking as the lines seem to be trending towards a little bit more of a run heavy offense, unfortunately. Uh, but you know, we, we will see tight end is one of those positions where a lot of crazy things happen. Um, moving on to quarterbacks, you know, there's not a ton going on. Keenum to the Redskins, meh Flacco to the Broncos. Eh, but there was a pretty large signing, Nick Foles. He goes to the Jags, four years, $88 million. Is this doing anything for you? Is this tilting the scales for the fantasy leagues? Uh, no, not really. He's more of a super flex guy. I think in regular leagues, he's going to be more of a wide receiver two, a bi-week fill-in, a streamer play. Um, I did say in the podcast before, and actually in art, the uh, free agent article I put out, I did have him go into the Jaguars, which I'm not – I'm not put, patting myself on the back for that because I think everybody, except for maybe two people in the country, had him going to the Jaguars, <laughs> so that wasn't shocking. I did say he was going to get $50 million guaranteed, and that's basically exactly what he got. He got $51.25 million guaranteed for, mm-hmm. you know, so it's basically a two-year contract. He can get up to $102 million. That's only going to happen if he actually plays plays good. If not, it's just a two-year contract. So that's, you know, and that's basically what it is. He's, he's 30 years old which is older than some people thought he was, but he's still young. He's still just coming into his prime here. Quarterbacks tend to come in their prime around 31, 32, 33. You know, wide receivers tend to come in at about 27, 28. So he does have some decent players there. Hopefully they'll probably get rid of Leonard Fournette after this year, but as long as he's there, he's going to be the main threat in that offense, and that doesn't bode well for Nick Foles. But I can see him getting, you know, an, an average stat line, maybe 225 yards and one or two touchdowns a week. So he'd be good for super flex leagues. But I think in regular leagues, you can have, you, there's going to be more people that I'd rather draft. And I really wouldn't draft him as a quarterback one, unless you're one of those people that takes two quarterbacks in your draft, which I tend not to be. So I, I wouldn't take him in my draft uh, unless other people, you know, decide to take like two quarterbacks before I even take one. 
But other than that, he's probably going to be my quarterback 20 or so when the rankings come out. Sounds about right. So we packed a lot of fantasy uh, information there in a relatively short time. Um, Dami, have any, uh, anybody we missed there? Anybody want to talk about anybody want to touch on before I close things out? No, I think, you know, it's kind of interesting to see Tannehill go into the Titans. I don't think that does anything for Mariota other than maybe if they decide not to re-sign Mariota, maybe they might re-sign him and try and use him as a Tannehill as a bridge quarterback, but that's more for Dynasty. Uh, but I do think Mariota's still safe because they did restructure uh, Tannehill's contract. He's going to get $7.25 million this year with $12.5 million with incentives, which is the same thing that Teddy Bridgewater got to stay with the Saints to back up Drew Brees. So he is basically a, just going to be the backup quarterback, but he does come one of the best backup quarterbacks. And if mm-hmm. uh, Mariota does miss some time for whatever reason, I think you can probably start Tannehill for a couple weeks. Absolutely. So if you want to continue the free agency conversation, both Dom and I can be found at Twitter. Um, I can be found at FF Tyler O and Dom can be found at at Envision FF. Uh, be sure to check out the website at fantasyhotread.com for free agency and pre-draft content this summer. We'll also be adding some DFS and CFF content as the 2019 season approaches. Any parting words, Dom? Everybody have a great draft season. All right. As always, thank you, Dominic. And don't forget, tell somebody you love them. Signing off. See you later. Like the pine trees lining the winding road. I've got a name, I've got a name Like a singing bird in the croaking toad I've got a name, I've got a name And I carry it with me like my daddy did But I'm living the dream that he kept here Moving me down the highway Moving ahead till I won't be